are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for, I don't know, April 20-something? I'm going to just say 25th. I figure that's close enough. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Prototype 2. Mm. I'm uh, Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is also not Prototype 2. Copycat. Oh, and by the way, so oh. to our guest once again, we did not tell our guest how to open the, the show. So, uh, Kevin Perry, based on what you have heard so far, here's where you would come in, and how do you think you would proceed? I'm just going to throw you into the deep end. Welcome to the Quarter to Three podcast. Introduce yourself. Go. <laughs> my name is Kevin Perry, and my game of the week is not Prototype 3. Wow, good. Uh, nice. All right. Well, we're all copying from each other. Not a, a lot of originality in the podcast so far. Well, that was three. That's a good point, right? Something that doesn't. Yeah, make, yeah, yeah. I had to add that on. You know, just to be safe, we don't want to be mean to the poor guys that are at Radical. They're trying. God knows. Uh, so, and speaking of not being very original, Kevin Perry, I want to know what is it like to go through life having the same name as the guy who made Shadow Watch. Like, do you get that a lot, that people will come up to you and say, oh, are you the guy that made Shadow Watch? I'm constantly swarmed by fans. I often can just eat for free at PAX. It's, it's, it's excellent. <laughs> now, we are, of course, being facetious. Is that, like, am I just the only... I know there are at least maybe a dozen, a couple dozen of us who are big Shadow Watch fans who will play a game and will say, hey, this is like Shadow Watch. And then there will be a few of us that pop out of the woodwork and they're like, oh, I can't believe you know Shadow Watch. Um, could you characterize it as, say, a, a cult hit, maybe? I would... I We really didn't sell well enough to be a cult classic. I'd say more like the crowd that hangs out at a diner classic sort of thing. <laughs> uh, maybe a small coffee shop classic. You know, I, I'm, I'm picturing that famous Edward Hopper painting. Like, like there, there's just us... The, what is it? Like, Diner of Broken Dreams or whatever. It's a dark exactly. city, and there's the lit interior, and us six Shadow Watch fans are gathered in the warmth of that small pool of light... Uh, sort of commiserating with each other. Uh, so, so explain to folks who may not be privileged enough to hang out in this small diner with us, what is Shadow Watch? Shadow Watch is a game that I and a small team of folks did in 1999 uh, for Red Storm Entertainment. It was the third in the Tom Clancy's Power Plays series. And the interesting thing about this, uh, which especially at this remove I can talk fairly freely about it, was... Uh, Red Storm was very involved in the Rainbow Six series at that time, uh, as well as some other good games that were that were going on. And my job was basically to sit at the back with a small team and create Tom Clancy branded games mm -hmm. as contractual obligations. So I had a small team. I think the Shadow Watch team was uh, six full time people at maximum for uh, ten months, basically. Uh, in other words, you could make you could get bagels for a uh, for a major game today, and what it cost us to make that game. <laughs> so basically, I had the opportunity, which I've never had in my career uh, since and don't ever expect to, of doing whatever the hell we pleased, uh, which was excellent. I mean, in fact, we shipped more or less the, the exact design document that I wrote up in the first place. Uh, it was a well, it was a tightly knit team. We all believed very strongly in what we were doing. And it's a very, can I say auteur? Is that too much for this podcast? It's a very auteur take on the uh, on the squad-based strategy game. I and like that, that. Yeah. That in yeah. fact, it, it turned out to be that's that was the 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 great side and the downside of the whole thing. It was very much my unique um, vision 
and too much so for really to be mainstream. I had some very specific ideas about things I wanted to do in there, which we did, uh, but that limited its its main its mainstream appeal. So perhaps instead of saying cult classic, we could call it an art film, the art film of ah. squad based strategy games. I will I will go ahead and say for the record, it is the assassination of Jesse James of strategy games. I can I can live with that. That's pretty good. <laughs> uh, now, what made it unique? What uh, what made it different from say you know XCOM or Jagged Alliance or those Commandos at War thingamabobs? Partly it was because I knew I had very limited resources. I had very limited time in which to do the game. So rather than just look at all the things we couldn't do, I decided to double down on the minimalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maximize what we could do. So I was thinking about what is what what parts are cheap to do and what parts are expensive. So a lot of story, a lot of heavy uh, cinematics and uh, big set pieces, uh, that's really expensive. So, all right, we're not going to do those. So that led me to thinking about how important is story in these games anyway. So I ended up writing uh, a multiple stories. In fact, the, main, the Shadow Watch has a... Not to go too far into it, but uh, there are nine major storylines that are randomly picked whenever you start, and the player's actions actually randomize the storyline rather than the other way around. It's like uh, a modular thing, like you would yeah, move yeah. through different units of the story and assemble them like a puzzle, kind of. Exactly. I, I only had the time and space and budget to make a limited number of enemies, so I made the enemy, and I didn't want them to be generic, so I sent it the other way. I, I made them highly stylized. But then made the story connections between them, which would otherwise have been too expensive to do in multiple ways, very, very flexible. Mm-hmm. So that even if you're playing in the same one of the version of the nine stories, how you react turns people into enemies or friends or just disinterested neutrals. Uh, none of which has a direct impact upon the actual gameplay, which was the other uh, major innovation, if you want to call it that, uh, in that the storyline didn't actually impact your minute-to-minute gameplay. It was a framing device. Right, right. And the, the minute-to-minute gameplay was more driven by, I would say, this this asymmetry amongst the different playing pieces who were your characters and how you developed them. Uh, Absolutely. And it kind of had, in a way, I, I don't think these terms were around in 1999, but if we think of your, your typical Jagged Alliance XCOM tactical strategy game as... Uh, what you might call an Ameritrash board game with a lot of little options and a lot of fiddly pieces and a lot of stats, um, just a lot of detail. Uh, Shadow Watch had more of a Euro game appeal. There was Ooh. this streamlining and elegance there. Uh, I like that a lot. No, that's also a good way to look at it. It was, it was, it was an early Euro game hmm? just on the computer side. No, I like that. Uh, I, I don't think I'd actually consciously connected those lines before, but it's true. I, I don't think I'd played quite as many Euro board games at that time as I have now, but my design sensibilities are very much that elegance and stylization. Now, what, uh, where are the, the rights? I mean, I guess the rights are like buried under Ubisoft's legal paperwork somewhere. Is that what exactly, the deal is? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Ubisoft uh, owns all of it. Uh, I, I would be intrigued. Uh, it's on my bucket list when I win the lottery to go and release those rights somehow and just get it out there so that more than four people can play the game. Now, why can't we play it? Like, are are there, is it on a a, a back catalog? Can can you get a copy of Shadow Watch from Ubisoft? Do do we know? I, I don't actually know. That's an intriguing question. All right. Well, I uh, every now and then I will 
go to think, I'm going to try Shadow Watch again, and I don't think I have a copy somewhere. I don't know what happened to it, but it's one of those things where Ubisoft, if you're listening, put that online, and uh, I'll gladly pay you know 10 bucks, whatever, to download it. Uh, give me an iPhone version. You know, actually, Kevin, I think a lot of Shadow Watch when I play... Um, there's a, a port of a board game called Elder Scrolls, or no, uh, Elder Sign Omens. Elder Signs, right. And uh, it reminds me a lot of what I get out of Shadow Watch. And that's, you know, these cool asymmetrical characters doing these challenges, and it sort of pieces together a story. You know, it's not put, it's not front-loading a story. It kind of emerges as I play. Uh, and it's about this team of their investigators in Elder Sign Omens. Uh, but it's about this team coming together and uh, basically rolling dice, you know, having random things happen and... It's combat in, in Shadow Watch, but it's more this investigation Lovecraft-style stuff in uh, Elder Sign. So I, I think of that a lot when I've been playing Elder Sign lately. Um, so uh, now that's not – you're not at Ubisoft slash Red Storm anymore. Tell us briefly, and we'll get into this more a little later in the podcast, what happened to you these days? Where on earth are you? Well, I'm not going to draw. I'm not going to draw the whole line between over the last 15 years or so. But uh, where I am currently, I'm the executive producer on the Age of Empires studio at Microsoft. Oh, you're one of them. I am indeed. <laughs> uh, all right, McMaster. By the way, do you know Shadow Watch? Are you in this diner with me and Kevin Perry? Uh, no, unfortunately, I, right. I didn't play a lot of the Tom Clancy stuff. I've some, but not a lot. Well, the thing is, it wasn't really... So you mentioned it was part of a trilogy, Kevin. I know Ruthless.com, uh, Shadow okay. Watch. What's the third one? Oh, Politica was the first one. Uh, then Ruthless.com, oh, yeah. and then Shadow Watch. Uh, and then there was to be a fourth one in the series. We were working on the book of it at the same time, but that's when the Ubisoft acquisition occurred. So that all got shut down. Is there a... Because there's a... If I'm not mistaken, there's a Shadow... There's a uh, Ruthless.com novel. Is there a Shadow Watch novel? There is indeed. Yeah, that you, was part. That was part of it. No, I, well, I I didn't write it, but we had uh, uh, we worked with an outside agency for that. But I did the the outline, and it, it was all based upon a Clancy esque character. So, are the characters from Shadow Watch in the novel, or is it mainly no, just the title? No, no, it, okay. it, it, it carries through the the storyline from the novels. All right. Man, I, I would love to have... Uh, okay, Ubisoft, if you're listening, uh, reprint Shadow Watch and bundle it with a copy of the novel, and I, I will definitely buy that. So... Uh, McMaster, what is our format going to be this week on the Quarter to Three podcast? Well, I would say we would go with news and then games. Mm. That sound crazy? Or... Let's do it. Uh, McMaster, yeah. who, who are we going to call out first for news of the week? Uh, you, Tom. That's who goes first. All right. My news of the week uh, is two, two news bits, little newslets uh, that I want to bring up, and I'm curious what you guys feel about this. Uh, the PlayStation Store now has available for download for $6, Darkstalker, Darkstalkers or Darkstalker? I don't know how many, I don't know if it's a singular stalker or multiple stalkers. I think it's multiple. Darkstalkers 3. It's a PlayStation oh. 1 title. You can now get it on the PlayStation Network, download it to your PS3 and play PS1 version of Darkstalkers 3, uh, a fighting game. Similarly, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is available for 3 bucks on the uh, iTunes store for your yeah. iPhone. Uh, it'll go up to 4 bucks after a couple of weeks. Um, but these are two instances of really, to my eyes, old fighting games that you can play on new platforms. Uh, so I want to ask you guys, how do you feel about 
bringing these old like for me i look at these things and i'm like oh god why would anyone play something so old when there are all of these newer versions you can play uh are either of you guys into fighting games like this kevin perry do you play any fighting games i have always played them i enjoy them but i'm so terrible at them that i can't play them in any sort of competitive environment by which i mean when anyone's watching you know, Kevin Perry, you and me, I think we're on the same plane. I can never go online with these things, but as far as just faffing about with friends, uh, that's as far as I can go, and, and even then I don't really know what I'm doing. But, uh, McMaster, you will have to serve as our fighting game expert on this podcast. Uh, how do you feel about a Marvelous Capcom on the iPhone or a PS1 fighting game on the PS3? Well, I really like Darkstalker, so I would like to see that, just to see if they did anything to it. Uh, like, Have you looked at it at all, as a graphically? No, I haven't. I mean, that would hurt my eyes. Are you crazy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Um, yeah, uh, I like Darkstalkers quite a bit. Um played a lot in the arcade. Um, and uh, as for Marvel vs. Capcom 2, it kind of depends. Um, I have it on the Xbox. I have it. Uh, and several different places and like it's cool and everything but I'm not particularly happy with the iPhone controls for most of these games I played Street Fighter 4 on it um, right. and uh, yeah I, I don't know it's, uh, it's cool because Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is a really great game uh, but yeah it's uh, I'm not horribly excited oh we'd like to see that Darkstalkers I have to check that out I, I just feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure that this is just a, a casual fighting game perspective that probably me and Kevin might share, is that once you get, like, Marvel vs. Capcom 3 effectively obsoletes both Marvel vs. Capcom 2 and Darkstalkers 3 for me. Because when I think of those characters and stuff, like, I just think, well, why not play Marvel vs. Capcom 3? Uh, or even a new indie fighting game like Skullgirls, which I'm really enjoying. That looks great. There's really cool new mechanics in it. Uh, I can't help but wonder, doesn't that obsolete these, these older fighting games? Uh, so, news of the week. If you're into the older fighting games, you can grab them a couple of new ones now on uh, your PlayStation 3 and your iPhone. So, All right, McMaster, what is your news of the week? Did we lose McMaster? Come in. I believe that we did. Okay, then his news of the week probably, uh, <laughs> I guess, killed him. It was uh, very exciting to him. It was, yes. <laughs> uh, so, Kevin Perry, why don't you go next then? What, what do you have for news of the week? Certainly. I was going to talk about the uh, apparent leak of the Valve employee handbook, but it occurs to me I don't have much to add to that particular comment other than uh, the interesting thing about that news story is not whether it was a news story or not, but uh, the tenor of a lot of the comments that have surrounded it. But actually, and more importantly, I actually wanted to talk about uh, a, a piece that I think didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, so that hold I, that thought real quick. Hold that thought real quick. I'm curious, that Valve handbook, was that debunked or is that a real thing? Do we know? I don't know. Um, okay. And I, the interesting thing for me about it was not what was in the handbook itself, but as I said, in the number of comments that went around about it, and that people seem to believe that it's not possible for a company to have strong internal culture or values. Right, right. Uh, all right, so, okay, so, but that is not your news of the week, and then that the is noteworthy part, part of that for you was the reaction. Uh, good correct. Point. But uh, what did you instead pick for news of the week? There was a, a piece that passed by very quickly in all the news feeds, but I thought it presaged a lot of very interesting developments. Uh, a Chinese company, um, Chengyu, I think, although I'm not pronouncing that correctly and, and most certainly, uh, 
picked up or has announced their plans to pick up and reinstate Shadowbane, an mm-hmm. MMO from that was closed down seven years, six or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I take that back. I guess it was just shut down a few years ago, but still, the game was developed ten years ago to begin with. And that's really interesting to me in a, in a couple of different ways. The first is that that the demand for a competitive MMO, at least in the Asian market, is seen as, as high enough that a company was willing to take old code that somebody else wrote, that that was seen as a faster, better path. Uh, and that's that, that's of interest from a business perspective, but of interest from the game's perspective for me, too, is that this is getting as closer to something that we desperately need as a, an, an industry, which touches on actually your uh, piece of news of the week, which is that as an industry, we're terrible about preserving our legacies. Right. And it's interesting to see as we move closer and closer to a point where hopefully technology won't be limiting our game designs anymore, that we'll see a great deal more of this. Uh, and it's interesting to see the stopgap difference here, because obviously everyone's still playing WoW, and that was released seven years ago. It's not the same game, but it is the same game in some ways. Mm-hmm. So seeing franchises and games develop over time is something that's a great deal of interest to me. Uh, I, I wonder, too, uh, as as game development, as the, as the industry kind of matures and we get farther from sort of technical showcases like hey look how cool my graphics are look how look how shiny this blood spatter effect is in this first person shooter and as we start to make more games that have story and narrative and messages and themes uh things that aren't limited by technology you know this becomes more important uh in 10 years something like bioshock is going to look awful, maybe. Uh, but there's so much great stuff done with the story there. There's so much that should be curated, that should be preserved, uh, that, that will probably hold up in 10 years in a certain way. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to see... Yeah, so, but I don't know, something about like Shadowbane, that was the one that had, if I'm not mistaken, player cities? Right, yeah. it, was, it was total PvP, all player cities, and everything was at risk, basically. Right, right. I, I really liked that game, actually. Well, uh, so, McGrath, you can play it in China now. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, and, was, and there was a company, too, didn't, uh, wasn't it a Chinese uh, publisher that resurrected uh, Hellgate London? I don't know if that ever actually went through, but I seem to remember that they were trying to do so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's out there. I just don't know if it's in the U.S. Right. Uh, all right, so, uh, Shadowbane, uh, was that, who published that, Kevin? Was that Ubisoft? Yeah, that was Ubisoft. All right. Maybe this Chinese company could look into another game that begins with the word shadow. And in case you'd like to talk with the original creative team, we're happy to do so. <laughs> uh, by the way, who uh, the other folks on your team, do you know what's become of them? Uh, the Shadow Watch team. Uh, many of them are actually still at Redstorm Entertainment, or at least in the North Carolina area. Um, okay. Although, interestingly enough, the AI programmer on that, a uh, man by the name of John O'Brien, who uh, was responsible for a good bit of the under-the-hood goodness of uh, Shadow Watch, actually is joining me here at Microsoft. Hey, uh, good. Awesome. So okay. he actually starts here next week. So I guess we're getting the band back together. <laughs> well, congratulations to, to both of you then. Uh, all right, so McMaster, are you ready for your news of the week? Will <laughs> your Internet connection bear up under the weight of what news you bring us? Yeah, I, I hope so. Um, uh, well, quickly, I, I don't know if you covered it, but, uh, you know, Chang Yu is the company that does that Sword Girls game. But anyway. Ouch. 
By the way, have I mentioned on the podcast the Sword Girls game? <laughs> no, I, I, I was kind of saving you the, uh, uh, you know, whatever. But I, I was just going to throw that out there real fast. Well, wh- while you've thrown that out there, I just want to say I have never accidentally played a game before. But that happened with Sword Girls in that I got a press release and uh, the, the the woman handling the press, she contacted me and she was like, hey, here's our game Sword Girls. Would you be interested in trying it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I've heard great things about this. I've, I've heard some buzz about it. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. Set me up. I want to give it a look. Uh, and I thought she would send me like a download code for Xbox Live because, you know, Sword Girls. Skull Girls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. It's the new fighting game that I'd heard so much about. So she sends me a link, and I found myself at some free-to-play anime-themed uh, collectible card game uh, that you play in a browser. Uh, so, yes, I've I've played Sword Girls. and um, Honestly, officer, that's how it happened. It was entirely <laughs> accidental. It really is cheesy, Kevin Perry. I don't know if you've ever been sitting in front of a computer with a bunch of anime artwork spread in front of you, but it's the sort of thing where I was like, God, I, I hope nobody walks in on me now. This is going to look really bad. <laughs> uh, what level are you in Sword Girls, by the way? Oh, God, I signed up for an account, then I was like, oh, boy, and then I didn't ever go back. To be fair, uh, it does have... Uh, a certain amount of craft to it. I, I don't think I'm not that crazy about the game design of the collectible card game. It's just way grindy. It, it's obviously thrall to its free to play model. Um, but if you if you like anime, I mean, there's there's a lot of cool artwork and they have some neat kind of theme stuff going on. And uh, if if grinding a CCG is your thing, hey, you could do far worse than Sword Girls. Well, and I don't know the game, but I do have to give props with the name. You see that name, you know exactly what you're getting. Sword Girls. You do, yeah. exactly. And I, I would also uh, caution people against, here, speaking of accidentally doing things, I caution you against going to swordgirls.com because that is not the free Not associated. That is not the card game. You will find yourself at a very in a very odd place, I just want to very, say. A uh, very that, exciting place. Uh, that's not the word I would use. Uh, I think... <laughs> The card game, I think, is swordgirlsonline.com. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's you, right. I hear you typing in swordgirls.com. Don't do it. I'm warning you. Oh, oh God, I want to. Uh, all right, but uh, the uh, yeah. So if you want to play a card game uh, with Tom, or uh, I guess a serious PvP game, Chang Yu is the company. Okay. Uh, but yes, my news. Uh, the Stalker developers are creating a free-to-play MMO FPS. What's the name of this, McMaster? Oh God! This thing is—is is it Servarium? It's like the worst name. Uh, <laughs> that's really bad. But uh, it's you know they didn't really get the rights to Stalker Two, Stalker Two and Under, and uh, they wanted to continue with like that kind of setting. So they're making an MMO FPS uh, in kind of a Stalker-esque uh, post-apocalyptic setting. Uh. Kevin Perry, what do you think of when someone says to you, I'm going to make a game and I'm going to call it Servarium? Uh, does that, does that, what, what pops into your mind? Like, what, what kind of game do you imagine when someone says that to you? Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is, uh, hey, at least the .com naming rights are probably available. <laughs> That's oh, true. Yeah. They, they got that domain. You can safely assume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't help but think it's like, a, it's like a terrarium, but you have to stay alive. Right, and you know, weirdly, I keep associating it with Terraria because of I think of Terraria, 
when I think of Severium for some reason. Uh, it's I have no earthly idea, but it's a terrible name. But uh, you know, they're Ukrainian guys. I mean, cut them some slack. You know, I mean, you know. And also, to be fair, like you, you're not going to confuse other than Terraria. You're not going to confuse it with many other games. Although, you know what? Uh, what was um, oh Sanit Sanitarium Sanatorium? Wasn't there a horror themed game? Yeah, Sanitarium. Yeah, yeah, it was like an adventure kind of game. But that's already a word, though. They didn't invent a whole new fake word for their game. So uh, no, that game's pretty old too. You would be pretty hard to get those two confused. That's true. Right. Right. Although to be fair, we don't know what Suvarium might mean in Ukrainian. That's it a good can, point. Right. It, right. It could mean Shadow Watch. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Uh, wasn't there? What was the name of the actress from uh, from uh, that thing where Kevin Spacey buys a Corvette, has his midlife crisis? American Beauty. Mina, Mina Suvari. No, Mina Suvarium. I think. Oh, right. very good. So, oh, is that it? Yeah, yeah. I think that was it. <laughs> uh, all right. So news of the week. No Stalker Two, but instead. Oh, and what kind of game is this, McMaster? Do we know? MMO first person shooter. Keep so... going. Keep going. You're not done. You're not done with your acronyms. I'm not. Free to play MMO oh, first F- person shooter. FTP MMO FPS. Right, right. Oh, yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, I must admit, I'm kind of more looking forward to Planet Side, too, but, you know, hey, I'll check it out. It's free to play. What can it hurt? Well, it's also in a situation like this, it's I'm curious to see what the developers of Stalker are, are doing next. Like, it's that sort of thing. Like, I, in a way, yeah. I don't care what kind of game it is, I just want to see where they're going to apply themselves and, and what they're going to do. So yeah, and, yeah, they and, made fascinating, uh, fa- a few fascinating games. So yeah. Absolutely. So they can call it whatever they want. I'm on board. Good. Yeah. Too. All right. So let's go to some games of the week. Kevin Perry, we're going to save you last because you have a surprise game of the week that I'm looking forward to talking about. But first, let's go with McMaster for oh. game of the week. We know it's not Prototype Two. What have you chosen? No. <laughs> and there he goes. <laughs> Once again, the internet. Cannot bear up under the weight of McMaster's staggering choice for Game of the Week. Uh, so I will go next then. Uh, my Game of the Week, also not Prototype 2. Kevin Perry, speaking of titles, let me throw another title at you, and I'm curious what you think of this name, what it puts you in mind of. You ready for this? I am. A Valley Without Wind. The first thing that comes to mind is Bino. <laughs> Oh, you would go there. Way to drag us down into the lowbrow uh, terrain. I'm, tr- I'm trying to broaden your demo here, Tom. That's all. <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, I guess I hadn't really even thought of that angle, but that's certainly there. Uh, no, so A Valley Without Wind is a, uh, I'll throw out some bu- buzzwords, a procedurally generated, um, infinite 2D exploration action RPG metroidvania uh in other words a crazy indie title that no publisher would ever fund uh it's that kind of thing uh and i'm 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 a bit uh nonplussed by it in that i don't quite know what to make of it yet uh but i find it oddly i don't know about compelling or addicting but alluring like, as I'm playing it, I'll kind of lose interest and think, I don't I don't know, this isn't really working for me. And I'll shut it down and I'll do something else. And then an hour later, I feel compelled to go boot it up and just poke around at it a little bit. I, um, I, I class that type of game, and there are many, uh, as interesting. And I don't mean interesting in the, you know, that's not a blow-off word. That's not a, oh, 
it has a nice personality kind of word. I mean, it is. It's of intellectual interest. It doesn't necessarily match up with what you want to do at any given time, but it keeps picking at the back of your brain. Yeah. And you want to go play with it a little bit more. It, it does have this toy thing. Like, you do want to play with it. You want to poke at it and see what it's going to do and, and uh, change things inside of it and see how it's going to react and, and just push a little farther. And uh, Now, when you say there are other games like that, like what does that remind you of, Kevin Perry? There's a tremendous number of them that have been, that have been released recently or as recently within the past couple of years. I mean, Fez is another one. Uh, a lot of the, the so-called NDC, I mean, going back to Flow and all those other things, I mean, they certainly aren't the same kind of game as Call of Duty or or the other big AAA ilk, but they're clearly games, at least most of them are clearly games. But in some ways, they're art projects made mm-hmm. real, or uh, I like the, the, the concept of toy, not in the uh, not in the SimCity style toy, certainly, and not the Will Wright meaning, but they just are interesting. I don't know of a better word for it. And you know, you're right, interesting is normally a non-word, but it definitely applies here, and that it's something of interest, and it's something that I want to look at and consider, and, uh, and in a way, I don't even feel like it's something I'm playing so much as like, like looking at a painting or, or something. In, now, in, a lot of, in a lot of cases, uh, the compelling I reserve for things that are emotionally compelling, and I'm not saying that A Valley Without Wind isn't emotionally compelling, it may be, right. but uh, they're more of intellectual interest to me. Right. Uh, for what games do you reserve the word visceral? Um, words, uh, games in which I can actually see viscera. Exactly. Good. Thank you. So literally visceral. Good. Right. Uh, uh, the the thing though that sets for me, uh, you mentioned Fez, which is also similar, and I played another 2D exploration game called Waking Mars recently. Uh, Fez and Waking Mars are, are both fantastic, but the thing that sets a valley without wind apart is the randomness. Like Fez and Waking Mars were very carefully crafted, but a valley without wind, everything is randomly generated and literally infinite. Uh, you know, you can go to new content. I mean, it's got this very Minecraft vibe. I don't know if Minecraft... Does a world ever end in Minecraft? Like, do you ever fall off the end of the world or anything? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, no. so so that there's something similar with a valley without wind in that it's just generating infinite terrain as long as you want to go. Uh, so... And I imagine this is a lot of the appeal in Minecraft. In Minecraft, you find a, a cave opening, and you want to explore down into it and see what's down there. It's the same thing in a valley without wind. You find a door to a cavern, and at the bottom of that cavern, it might be a dead end, or it might be a door to another cavern. Um, so there's this great sense of how far do I push, and how far will the world unfold before me? When do I turn back? Uh, and one of the things that Valley Without Wind does that I felt was missing for me personally in Minecraft Valley Without Wind is so, almost to a fault, goal-oriented in that you always have all these little goals that you're given. You know, there's a little uh, kind of encyclopedia thing in Minecraft that you can exhaust pretty quickly that says, okay, make a workbench, now make iron ore, now uh, make a sword, okay, you're done. Uh, You know, and that's that's sort of a primer. kind of, I mean... (laughs) Well, that, what I mean is you're done with the primer. There's that, that's sort of a primer. The achievements, I think they're even called achievements uh, in, in Minecraft. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're achievements. Uh, they, they add them all the time, but yeah. And, and that was my entry into Minecraft. Like, okay, let me open this panel of achievements and see what I need to do. You know, I want quests or goals. I need to 
and maybe this is a failing on my part, but I kind of want to be told or at least have suggestions given to me as far as what to do, where to go next. Uh, and, and Minecraft doesn't really want to do that. Like Minecraft is more like a Lego set. Valley Without Wind is very clear about saying, okay, you know what? Maybe you should consider doing these six things, and then if you don't want to do those, here's another 12 things at the second level. And if you don't want to do those, here at the third level of sort of suggestions, here's another 20 things. So there's constantly this checklist of different things you can do and push towards and try to achieve in Valley Without Wind that guides the experience in a way where I felt kind of adrift in, uh, in Minecraft. Uh, so there you go. I'm still early with it. I don't quite know what to make of it. As I said, I'm, I'm overall pretty nonplussed by the whole thing. But uh, my game of the week is Valley Without Wind. So, McMaster, yeah. are you going to stick around with us long enough to tell us your uh, game of the week? I don't know. Maybe. All right. Uh, Fingers crossed. Every segue. Uh, but, yeah, uh, Valley Without Wind is pretty cool. I have not played it much. I actually have a couple of copies. I'm a big fan of Terraria, um, which it reminds me of. Mm -hmm. Um but yes, uh, my game of the week this week, I was saying uh, uh, Witcher 2 is close. Uh, it looks a lot better once you get out of the tutorial area. Uh, for some reason, just the tutorial area looks worse. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no idea why. Uh, but once you get to the cities, uh, the game starts to look a lot nicer, and it's old Witcher we all love. Um, however, my game this week, uh, since you've been talking so... Uh, down on uh, Street Fighter Cross Tekken, I thought I'd give it a shot. And uh, it's my game of the week this week. Now, there's a lot of punching and kicking in that game, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, there are a lot of punches. Uh, there's a few kicks. Uh, no, yeah, the, it has the six-button format that you're not as fond of. Um, and uh, you didn't like it at all. You gave it a low review, didn't you? Oh, I didn't even review it. I can't play that. This is one of those way-too-technical fighters for me. I, that's, that's just beyond my ken. Um, because, like, I've played a lot of Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 uh, lately as well. I picked it up around the same time. And um, and I agree, well, I agree with you, it's definitely a much better game for just, like, friends and partying or parties or whatever. Uh, I like the Street Fighter cross-tech and technical stuff. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Street Fighter 4, but it does give you the tag team options. Um a big thing for me, uh, well, I guess a big point of contention for people, I guess, has been gems. Yes, the gems are a new feature. Uh, explain what gems do in Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Uh, well, the gems give you certain bonuses after you meet certain criteria. Like, for instance, there's damage gems that once you, I don't know, block 15 blows or something, you get a percentage bonus to damage, or once you uh, stop two throws you get a bonus to damage and they, and there's other ones that do stuff like give you a, a bonus speed and bonus uh, toughness etc um, and then some of them actually make the moves easier uh, but I believe those are kind of limiting in a way they have negatives um, attached to them um, but people are, are not horribly fond of that system now, when you say people, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess what's going on is that hardcore the, the types of hardcore players who pick up a, a supremely technical fighter like Street Fighter Cross Tekken don't like that kind of uh, uh, what, what would you call it almost like RPG kind of config character like configuration. They don't like messing around with uh, with the the character balance with the gems. Is that what's going on? I would imagine so, yeah. Right. I mean, that's what it looks like. Also, I mean, if you can make 
moves easier, though there is some negative to him. Some moves, of course, could be pretty... I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Now, for earning the gems, is it how deliberate are you? Are you just sort of racking up gem points, or is it something you can try and farm you know, by doing low blocks in an all-match? Well, what you do is you slot, when you pick your character, uh, you, you choose, I think, two, three, you choose a couple of three. gems, for three gems for your character, and depending on which gems you've chosen, they appear like above your your little power bar thing. So you've got right. these three little lights, and only you, well, I, I guess as you play, you know what each of the lights represents, but once you achieve the sort of the goal of that gem, it lights up, and it's in effect. Isn't that right, McMaster? Like, that's kind of yeah. how it works? Yeah, so so what happens is, if I want the gem to make me do extra damage that requires that I block 15 attacks first, I go into the match, and I've got that gem slotted, and it's dimmed out, and I'm just going to block for a while, block, 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 block. And then once I block enough, that gem lights up, and now I'm doing extra damage. So I'm not farming it so much as I'm equipping it and then waiting to satisfy the requirement, at which point it's in effect, and then I enjoy the benefit. I see. So you choose them outright to begin with. You don't earn them over an RPG play. You Correct. can, I guess, earn more gems or buy them, I guess. I, I don't know how that works, honestly. It is, uh, it's, part I, of the, it's part of the meta game, if I'm not mistaken. Like, you have to, like, you have to... Uh, I don't know if Capcom's selling them or if you unlock them in the course of the game, but it's definitely the sort of thing where when you first play, you've only got a few gems to choose from to slot in the different characters. Yeah. I, uh, I found a not used but a uh, really cheap version of the collector's edition, which came with a ton of gems. So I just uh, kind of put in the code and was like, oh, what the hell, I'll try these out. So I have no earthly idea about that. Um, however, I do like uh, I, I do like how it plays. I really like the way the uh, – uh, actually, I guess I'm kind of a fan, too, of the, the whole Capcom, like, how grand all the moves are. Like once you pull them off, like if you if you could pull like a cross assault off, which is like where you hit, uh, I think that's what they call it, a cross assault, is where you hit uh, both medium buttons with like a fireball circle or whatever. Uh, it uses all three bars of your special. You have to be full, and you do like your special move, uh, one of your special ending moves, and it, like it kind of passes it over to your partner who does one of theirs as well. And depending on who you're fighting against, that can do, like, a ton of damage. And uh, it's really cool-looking. Um, yeah, that's, that's great, McMaster. Have fun with that. Me and Kevin Perry are just going to be uh, – we're going to be spamming the light punch button. Absolutely. Oh, but actually, what I'll be trying to do is see if I could get all the way through the game, go all the way through the story, and see if somewhere in there it told me why cross and not versus. Ah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think the whole idea with that is that uh, – who does? Is it Namco? Yeah, it's Namco. Namco does Tekken. Uh, I think Namco's releasing a Tekken cross Street Fighter. So it's like they're doing these crossover games. I have no earthly idea why. they're So they're releasing two. One in the style of Tekken and one in the Capcom style of Street Fighter, which is certainly the one that interests me the most. Alright, well, if uh, Jason can fight Freddy, then uh, Ken can fight uh, I'm out of my element here. Paul. Paul? Okay. Yeah, or there's a, there's a bear, Kuma, you know, he's great. Uh, Kuma no, the bear? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I just think it's a really cool game. And I, I like uh, Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3 as well. It's just kind of not as up my alley as uh, 
Tekken is. Right. Now, real quick, before we get to uh, what I want to talk about this week, McMaster, you made a point of saying Prototype 2 is not your game of the week. Is that because you're not playing it, or is that because you are playing it? That's because I'm not playing it. Okay. Uh, no, are, are you playing it? Yes, I am. And we'll, oh. leave, leave, that, we'll leave that right there for now. Uh, but wasn't it E3 that you and I saw them give the the speech about how they were tired? You were tired of hearing your mom and sister nag at you all the time, so they just killed that whole family at the beginning of the game. So, like, isn't that supposed to make it all better? <laughs> killed all the women first. All the women folk that were bringing you down, murder the hell out of them so you can get to some tank punching. Well, that also gives you, you know, that gives your character motivation. That's character development, McMaster. Uh, Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, All right, Kevin Perry, what have you chosen for Game of the Week, even though you might not be a completely unbiased source? (laughs) I would have to say that my Game of the Week is Age of Empires Online. Hmm, interesting. Now, what is your relation to Age of Empires Online? Because I think McMaster and I have some, uh, some questions for you. Certainly. I am the executive producer of Age of Empires Online. Now, this is a recent oh. development. I think one of the uh, one of the things that, that's kind of notable about Age of Empires Online is that it's been, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, it, it's gone through various iterations, but it's been passed from one developer to another developer, and, and now it's, under, uh, it's going e- under even more changes. Um, it started at Robot Entertainment, if I'm not correct, and that's correct. Uh, an offshoot of some of the folks from Ensemble. Uh, once they put together the basic package, it was turned over to gas-powered games, uh, and under Microsoft, they sort of finished it up and released it in its release form. Uh, and since then, who's who's working on it now? Is gas-powered still? On yes, the board? gas-powered is still very much our partners in okay. actively developing the game. Okay, uh, they've been on a little bit more than a year now. They came on, I believe, last March. Mm-hmm. And I've only been here about five months myself. Are they being nice to you? Are they picking on you because you're the new kid? Uh, so far, it's been pretty nice, but I do have to check my chair for tax before I sit down. <laughs> have they tried to sell you an elevator pass yet? Uh, no, nor have they. Nor have they sent me to go to uh, Building Seven yet either. Uh, also, would you would you grab a board stretcher out of the workshop for me when you're over there, Kevin? Sure, I'll do that. Uh, so what are the most recent changes that have happened to Age of Empires Online? Because they're, they're pretty sweeping, it seems like. Significantly. Um, in, in Well, let's see. Going in, in uh, actual chronological order, back in um, February, uh, I instituted some changes beginning of the game. The first thing I did was, at the time the game launched, uh, which was last August, uh, it had a macro transaction model whereby you bought large packs of DLC, uh, sorry, downloadable content. Uh, so the game itself is free to play. You're welcome to come by any time. Uh, but there are certain elements and features of the game that are locked behind the paywall. So you can play the Greeks for free all you like, but if you wanted to use rare gear, for example, or advisors, uh, you needed to pay what was at the time a $20 fee to uh, buy what was called a premium civilization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first thing I did in February was I have the prices of the DLC so that uh, premium sales became $10 and boosters became $5. Uh, that was just a much a much needed market correction. That was closer to uh, what I felt the game should charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, since that time, um, 
The other thing that I did around the February time frame uh, was also engage the community in this, was publicly say that we were slowing down development in order to make a commitment to quality as opposed to just trying to shove something out the door every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the original team, not that I'm speaking ill of them, had made some uh, promises to the uh, to the community at that time that just frankly weren't sustainable. Uh, there's no one that operates at the level that, that uh, we do that puts out content that quickly, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, so we actually stopped. Uh, I'm sorry, not stopped. We we did not release uh, anything. Unfortunately, we left our community, uh, frankly, fairly high and dry for a period of about eight to ten weeks, during which we ratcheted down and fixed a whole lot of stuff, and then released a patch actually on March 27th that not only included a new civilization, the Celts, but also fixed some 1,400 bug fixes and uh, basically was a big quality of life injection patch to the game. Now, one of the, the huge changes that, that you made, and uh, this was something that I was uh, fairly critical of. I mean, I, I've always liked the core game in Age Online, but I also had some reservations about some of the, the business model decisions. Um, and, and one of the things that I was kind of critical of was there there was kind of – you had to do a lot of what some people would call grinding. I always feel that's a loaded word because some right. people who enjoy a game – You know, grinding shouldn't necessarily be a negative thing. As you play a game that you're enjoying and you're having fun or whatever you want to, you know, however you want to characterize it, that can be called grinding, but that doesn't necessarily mean you don't like doing it. So you basically had to play a lot of Age of Empires Online to unlock a lot of the content for your your civilization. Correct. Uh, Uh, The the original progression scheme uh, also had a lot of features that were locked behind, let's go ahead and call it a time wall. You had to spend a good bit of time with the game to unlock features that a lot of people, yourself included, consider to be pretty basic elements to the game. So among the changes that were made since the launch are uh, the release of a new mode uh, called Skirmish Mode that you play completely without that. When you play in Skirmish, you just you have all, all your toy box available to you from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, for those people who are interested in primarily in single-player uh, quest-based plays, we reduced the, the curve on the leveling curve significantly, uh, called the Faster to 40 initiative since uh, the game goes to level 40, uh, and also brought forward a lot of the features uh, that were behind that time wall previously. So some of the features are a little bit behind the time wall, and I do think that's still important because we have a tremendous number of people playing the game that have never played an RTS before and get confused when they're given too many options. Right. Now, um, I, I feel, uh, so McMaster is kind of, McMaster, you're not a huge RTS player, correct? Well, I mean, no, I've, I've played all almost all the major ones, but I'm you're, not you're like, like a, you're a dabbler, we might say. Oh sure, I don't I don't miss the big ones, but yeah. So uh, you you have sort of come new to Age of Empires Online, if I'm not mistaken. You hadn't played it before, right? Right. I mean, I've played all the other Age games, but right. not online. Yeah. So uh, you your your actually first look at Age of Empires Online. Uh, describe how that went. You you recently jumped in for the first time. <laughs> you mean the uh, the install? Um, no 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 uh, the actual the actual game. Uh, oh okay. Because <laughs> there have been also Kevin, you guys are available on Steam now. Is that is that new by the way? Or that's yes, kind of... that was also released with the oh. March 27 patch. Was, right. Uh, you, you are able to come in and download the game through Steam now uh, and link it to your Steam account as as so many millions of other people do. Which is great. Which is you know I, I think people you know, when you release a game online, uh, you can expect to hear whining. Why can't I get this on Steam? And now people can't whine about that for okay. Age of Empires Online. Exactly. So, so McMaster, you've jumped in for the first time. Describe for us your, uh, your your early exposure to you know coming fresh into this this RTS. 
I really like uh, one thing. I really like about it is the art style. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very cartoony, uh, but still uh, pretty cool. It's got a good flow to it. And um, overall, the game is uh, everything I remember about Age of Empires, um, and it doesn't really feel that limited. You know, I I understand that like, well, okay, your ten dollar packs they are um, they give you level twenty. Plus, they give you access to rare items and advisors. It depends. There is a one civilization, the Persians, that's called a pro civilization. That for the ten dollars you get, it's automatically leveled to twenty. Uh, but that's because there's not any story content, particularly for the Persians. They're primarily intended oh. as a as a uh, a skirmish and PvP race. Oh, okay. Oh, so the others you do not boost. Right, that- yeah, for the Celts, oh, okay. the Egyptians, or the Greeks, uh, you still play through the stories you like. It just unlocks the ability to use gear and advisors and a couple of other things. The way I would characterize it is that you have uh, – it's kind of an unfortunate reality of real-time strategy games, that when you make a real-time strategy game, you kind of have to make three separate games to cater right. to three separate audiences. One audience, of course, is the hardcore player versus player, and that's certainly in there now. You know, you guys, Kevin Perry, you have a, a champion mode. Like, you can do player versus player with all your single player stuff, or you can do this champion mode where all the single player, like, metagame stuff is evened out. Uh, right. Everything so you, is completely on an even keel. There's no advantage to it's skill versus skill. Right, and that's clearly that that right there. You've got that nailed with uh, Age of Empires Online. The second way that people like to play an RTS, and the second type of game that RTS makers have to make, is a single-player game. And often this needs some sort of like story uh, or some upgrade path. Uh, StarCraft II very recently did, uh, you know, they threw a lot of money at their production values and they gave you some stuff to upgrade and they introduced new new units as you went. And Age, Age of Empires Online clearly does that. You guys have this, um, you know, again, the word grinding gets used, but I don't think you have to use that. Uh, the single-player game in any civilization other than the Persians, where they're pre-leveled, is all about doing the missions and acquiring goods to craft new gear and upgrading your units. Uh, you guys clearly have that there as well. Uh, and then the third way to make an RTS, and this is what I personally most enjoy in my RTSs, uh, is as a skirmish game where I just sit down and instead of doing a story or instead of having to level up my dudes or do these little, like, uh, you know, commando missions where I have a limited number of units, instead of doing any of that, I just want to play the AI on even, on even footing. You know, I want it to have the same rules I do. We both have to harvest resources. I can pick the map. I can set a victory condition. Uh, I, I felt that was a huge thing missing for me personally in Age of Empires Online. And, Kevin, I was elated to discover that you guys, you know, the skirmish pack, that's exactly what I wanted. Um, so if I want a full-featured RTS that can be played in any of those three ways, I feel I can get that for 15 bucks from Age of Empires Online by buying one civilization and the $5 skirmish pack. Uh, and I don't see how anyone could take issue with that business model. It's a pretty smart business model. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because if you think about it, how many games do you... Like with with Blizzard, like StarCraft, you know, I, I was always like a Protoss player, so that's who I spent most of the time with. You know, uh, you, you pick a race and you pick something and uh, you go with it. So, yeah, absolutely, it's pretty awesome. Excellent. So, uh, Kevin, what is the... Uh what has the the reaction been amongst the community? Is anybody uh, are there any naysayers these days? 
Well, there are always naysayers with any community, but uh, what we've done a great deal of, and we have a lot of fans that have been with us since beta that are, that are hardcore uh, friends of the franchise, friends of the series that uh, enjoy and have come along with us, but there was a great deal of negative response to the game when it first launched, uh, and along the way, too, frankly, because... One thing that that we didn't do very well was message to people that this was a different take on the Age of Empires than the previous versions. Because the previous versions, for example, Age of Empires 2, is very much a, here's 15 civilizations. They don't differ from each other very much. You know, there's a couple of key units and a couple of different special abilities. You go in there and mix it up. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Age Online, it was very much intended at the single-player uh, core audience that you mentioned earlier who enjoy leveling up and gaining a little bit of gear and doing a cool quest here and there. And later, the more hard, the, the champion mode for the PvP players and then the skirmish mode for both single and multiple players was added later. And that caused a negative uh, con- uh, belief about the game to begin with. Uh, I stand by the fact that it's always been a good game. We're working very hard on making it a great game, but that we sabotaged ourselves by hiding away a lot of the good elements behind poor communication and, in some cases, some flawed uh, launch technologies. Mm-hmm. And and one of the, the changes that you've sort of announced recently, there are two big changes, but a sort of an overarching change is uh, you're, you're wanting to proceed with more, you've used the word transparency, I Transparency, believe. absolutely. Uh, and let me speak on transparency in two different ways. The first thing is how it applies to uh, Age of Empires Online. Um, but the secondly is that we acknowledge it as an experiment. So what we're doing is we made the announcement with a blog post last week uh, to the community that going forward, we are going to be transparent with the community. We're going to tell them what we're doing, what we're planning, and basically behaving in an open kimono style of way. This is uh, for a couple of reasons. One is it's an experiment. I've been an online game player for many, many years, and I've never seen any other developer try this. Usually over time, especially if, if the game is getting older or not, or perceived as not doing very well, there's a wall of hostility that grows up between the developers and the community. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see, could we dispel that? And so far, so good has been the answer to that. Uh, for example, we had a interesting time yesterday when we attempted to apply a, a balance patch for our, our PvP players and utterly screwed the pooch. We were down for we were down for five hours and just it we were running around over here with our hair on fire. Great day, great time. Uh, but what we did was we went on the forums immediately to the players. Actually, before that, went in games. It's not ever all the players go on the forum and told people, "Hey, we're taking the servers down. Look out!" And then as it quickly progressed, that we did not have an ETA for the servers to come back up. We engaged the community and said, "Look, guys, we screwed up." We've got the servers down, and we're trying like hell to patch them back together. We're not sure what's going to happen, and we're really sorry, especially your European players, because it occurred right in the middle of European uh, prime hours. Mm-hmm. So, hey, guys, we screwed up. Sorry. And that really seemed to make a big difference to a lot of the users. Uh, I mean, obviously, no one's saying, hey, it's okay. Don't worry about being down for five hours because you guys were nice about it. But on the other hand, it's really engendered our community knitting together and honestly believing us about what we're talking about with transparency. Mm-hmm. So when we screw up, we'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other option, that uh, other a- aspect of this I want to talk about very briefly here is that uh, Age Online at Microsoft is part, of a, is part of a group called Connected Experiences that is invested heavily in innovation and disruption and experimentation. 
uh, free-to-play games are new at Microsoft. So we're an experiment from that side point. So I also wanted to look at this not just from working with the age of, of, of Empire's online community, but also for as an experiment. Could one engage with a community with full transparency? What would that be like? Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, amongst the transparency, you've also talked about upcoming changes. Correct. Uh, uh, and the, ne- the next big thing that we're doing uh, is changing the business model even further, moving it to a an actually truly free-to-play model, uh, by which I mean currently uh, – Currently, as the game stands, if you come to uh, Age of Empires online and, and download the game, you are funneled into the large macrotransaction buckets we talked about earlier. You want the Greeks, you pay me $10, you can have the full Greeks, and so on. Uh, and that's a one-time tran- uh, transaction, and you're finished. But most modern uh, free-to-play games that uh, are, doing, are, are, are doing the model well have internal currencies. And we're moving to a, an, a, a way, instead of buying a straight-out DLC from us, what you do is buy what are called Empire Points, which you then use in-game to buy everything you could buy before, plus some new vanities, uh, some other new items coming up. But the key to that, why that's so different, is we will now allow you through, as a free player playing the game, to earn those Empire Points. So what it comes down to is a really, truly balanced free-to-play model allows the player to choose whether they want to spend money or time for the content. And so part of what I'll be able to buy with this is new civilizations, but also I'm assuming you guys are are looking to sell with empire points uh, things like cosmetics for cities and Absolutely, maybe yes. units, right? Yeah, we okay. do have some new vanities coming out. Uh, we'll be talking more about those uh, on May 15th as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also part of transparency is we've been letting people know when we're going to be talking about these things. Uh, but, yes, it, it really – does allow the user to choose how they want to send, how they want to spend their time and money. Uh, for some people, that sort of level of vanity is not important at all. You don't care. Right. But for for other players, they don't care at all about owning the Egyptians full on out. They really want to have them have the really cool uh, hats. Let's say. <laughs> uh, yeah, like the Team Fortress Two school of thought. Yeah, exactly. put it. Put a funny hat on, and, and people will come. People will want that, and they'll buy that, yeah. Uh, now, now, you've also mentioned, and I know you can't talk too much about this because this is more you've announced that you will announce uh, the uh, new end game model. Like right Correct. now, you get to level 40, and for some players who are there for that single-player progression and leveling up and don't really care about the skirmishing or the PvP, they get to level 40, and they're like, well, what do I do now? So you guys have some plans for them coming up, right? Correct. That's called the Alliances feature, uh, and we'll be talking extensively about that on April 30. But it it basically is, as you say, it's an end game. It's sort of an elder game for people who have advanced the civilization to 40 to allow them to work with other level 40 civilizations and do interesting things uh, to and with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. Uh, now, ha- has anything been said right now? You have Greeks, uh, Celts, Egyptians, and Persians. Uh, has anything been said about what or when new factions will arrive? We have announced that there are no new there are no new civilizations coming out with our next summer patch, which is in roughly six to eight weeks. Uh, the the new civilizations will follow after that. Okay. Um, we do have multiple civilizations in the works, and we are not saying specifically what those are. Uh, I'm having some fun trolling the uh, <laughs> uh, the four members with teases teases about what those upcoming ones are. Right. Uh, let's talk about the four that are in there. Uh, so, McMaster, who are you playing? Um, at first, I chose the Celts, but then I um, wanted to play with them further without 
Tom Chick interference, so I switched <laughs> to the Greeks, and uh, yeah, I, I, I've been enjoying them so far. Uh, Kevin Perry, when you play, who do you lean towards? I do play them all. Uh, my initial love was for the Greeks, and I do prefer the Greeks because the Greeks have a very archer-heavy style, which I which I like. Now, what makes them an ar- what gives them an archer-heavy style? Is it just they have more units to choose? I've actually never played the Greeks. I've played the uh, the Celts and the Egyptians. Uh, well, what? It- in general, they're they're designed in a certain way. Uh, the 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 civilization. Of course, you can play them any way you like, especially in single player. But on the on the PvP side of things, they're balanced in certain directions for certain style of play. And the Greeks are known for massed archers. Uh, the Egyptians have a lot of power with their priests and uh, yep. various large cavalries, uh, elephants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the Persians are have high end cavalry. Uh, the Celts are an infantry and druid. Uh, race, so I won't, I won't say that they're separate from the priest because the Celtic Druid has a number of new abilities and some very different ways to, to play, but they're primarily a heavy infantry race with a lot of agility too, which a lot of people don't think of when they think of infantry in, a, in an RTS, but the Celts can be quite fast, especially with the with the Woad Raiders. That Woad Raider ability where they get that, uh, like I think of, and it, you guys probably hate when people relate other RTSs to your RTS, but I can't help but think of that Woad Rush ability as similar to this Protoss Rush ability. The Protoss Zealots, I think, in StarCraft II get the ability to rush into combat. Uh, I love seeing that with those little Woad Raiders. Like, uh, one, of the, one of the cool things is that as you're playing a game like Age of Empires Online and you see these three types of infantry and you're like, oh, well, what makes one different from the other? As you learn the, 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 the units and start to see how distinct they are, uh, that, that's this cool reveal. So I loved discovering how awesome that agility was in those Woad Raiders when, when you unlock that ability. Yes, uh, it is interesting. And another fun thing about that, uh, the view from here inside the Sausage Factory, is yeah. that obviously our play balance teams have been playing with the Celts for a long time before they were released, mm-hmm. and they have uh, developed among themselves a very high-end elder game that they fight with each other in a certain way using those because they've been doing it for months on end. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we release it to the to the public as a whole who doesn't have that experience and watching them go through the same learning curve. Right, and right. talk about it and go, oh, well, this strategy is overpowered. You, you can't possibly counter it. And then a week later, someone says, oh, well, all you have to do is build spearmen. And like, oh, everybody says. And it's it's fun watching that evolution occur again because, of course, eventually the community will outpace our play balance guys. Right. That That's the meta game for the people who like the PvP. Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, I, another thing I loved discovering as an Egyptian player, and the Egyptians get three flavors of priests. One comes in with each age, and they, they have very different functions, but they can be a crucial strategy for the Egyptians and how you upgrade their abilities and how the advanced priests upgrades also apply to the earlier priests. Like that whole priest meta game I'd gotten used to with the Egyptians. So that when I started playing the Celts and I was making druids to heal my guys, I was would give my guys an attack move and i would find the druids up there fighting and i would think no no you idiots get out of there oh, the ai is broken this game sucks but then i eventually realized oh no druids are brawlers they're priests that get in there and fight absolutely uh, and i love that discovery too uh things like that so another thing i love about the celts um I think, and I'm not sure about the economics of this, and actually maybe you can help me, Kevin, but one of the things I've discovered is, hey, don't mess around with farms when you're playing the Celts. You can create these sacred groves, and that's where you make your your druids. uh, And from there, you can spit out little magical deer. 
you can basically seed an area with livestock, huntable animals that, that are normally limited on the map, but the Celts can seed new huntable animals. So I'd get a couple of sacred groves going and just queue up a bunch of deer to feed into my little deer farmers and never have to shift to a farming economy. Uh, have exactly. I, which, which, which preserves your wood. Yep. And allows you to use it in a lot of different ways. And also, as you note, where you do that on the map is also up to you, which le- which lends some strategic elements to you there. Because always you want you want your farms to be in a certain place on most maps, but the sacred grove can be elsewhere. Right, right. Uh, tell me some cool tricks with. Uh, so, McMaster, you're playing. Did you say the, the Greeks? Yeah. So, what are have you discovered any new cool tricks with the Greeks? Can you give any strategy tips for uh, Greek players? You saw me play, Tom. What do you think? <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm not. I, I wouldn't feel right. Do you have any favorite units? When you build, let's say, McMaster, you're just playing a, a straight-up skirmish game or whatever, what type of strategy do you gravitate towards with the Greeks? Um, well, I mean, I have been trying to build archers, uh, but uh, at the same time, I do like those wo- those wood guys. Aren't those Greek units? Or am I no, those are Celts. Those are from your Celtic. Your oh, Celtic then what's base. this? What's the special Greek unit then? That's a that's a, a soldier. They'll that's... all have funky names that I would be reluctant to say out loud. Uh, Kevin Perry, the, give us the, the names. Are, are you referring to the Prodromos or the Peltasts, the Gastras, the Toxotes? I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. No, no. All right, so fair enough. Uh, but no, uh, yeah, I've uh, when I've been playing, and uh, I've played some with Tom, as he will attest. I've tried to, uh, yeah, build up, um, I guess, a, a spearman and uh, actually uh, an archers as well. Mm-hmm. But that's that's been pretty much my strategy. I usually just let Tom win. Or <laughs> McMaster, when we play co-op, I got this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You just harvest gold and, and whatnot. And, uh, yeah. uh, so, uh, Kevin, I have one request. Certainly. Can you guys put in a stop moving button? Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. There are all these, like, and I just, I'm, I'm kind of a power user, and I don't, uh, you never cater to, to a guy like me. I just want to say off the bat. But one of the things I, I love going, I like, there's so many good, like, hardcore key binding options for instance right, you can make, put make sure you have checked out all the full key binding options they're, oh, not, I, all, they're not all exposed but yeah there's a lot of power there no i've been in there i i rolled my sleeves up and i got in there and there's great options for like selecting all or selecting all of one type there's even a patrol option by the way uh yes. you know when i sat down to play i was like you know what i just want my scout to patrol oh i can't do that because there's no button because it's a power user thing but if you go into the key binding sure enough just you know do like i did put patrol on shift p and that's that's in the game like it's definitely got all those power user things that were in age of empires 3 even if they're not you know big old fat buttons right up uh, under your nose but one of the things that i'm missing because a lot of times as the egyptians i want my dudes to stop immediately so that the priests can heal them uh and i can just give them a nearby waypoint and they'll go there but i'm I'm used to like tapping a button and that means hey everybody stop uh, but otherwise, I've just been so pleased with how much of the good stuff from Age of Empires 3 uh, is essentially there. I mean, that was something I liked early on about the game, is that just as the core gameplay, 
you know, robots certainly carried over a lot of what was good about Age of Empires 3, and that's still there, and uh, with some of the changes you guys have made, it's just that much more accessible to me now. And, and as I said earlier, the core of the game is, is very good and has been very good. I'm concentrating my attention on making sure that the all-up experience of the game is, is as good as that core gameplay. Right, right, good. Uh, all right, so uh, April 30th, you guys will be talking more, you said, about, more the, about the alliances, uh, yes. The alliance, good. Uh, and for now, uh, if you are interested in a latest-gen good RTS, you know, you can go out and buy one for, you know, 40 50 bucks, or buy one Civilization and a $5 skirmish pack, and I would say with Age of Empires Online, you've got the equivalent of a full-featured RTS now. And feel free to come by and try it for free. If you don't like it, we, we, we don't change it to your to your monitor. And just to let you know, so if you get a free pack, the only thing that you're limited by is if you find certain equipment, you can't upgrade, you can't uh, equip certain advanced equipment, uh, rares, right. I think you said, and right. the the advisor's hall is closed too. Is that correct? Right. There's a, there's a few other things that are that are closed as well, but you, you can get definitely get a feel for the game for free, absolutely. And if you are primarily a PvP style player, we do have the champion mode PvP that does not re, that does not depend upon gear in any way. And if you have a friend who is a a, a pro player, they can invite you to a PvP match so you can see what the game looks like at the high end without paying anything. Is there any sort of uh, ranking, like when you jump into StarCraft II, it, it ranks you according to someone with a, a similar skill. Is there anything like that going on? In I know you guys have leaderboards. Yeah, there are leaderboards, and it's also using true skill for, oh, it is. Good. Uh, for matching, correct. That's good news for me and McMaster, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, McMaster, what is your, how could someone friend you? And that's another thing, Kevin. Uh, do you friend someone's account name or city name? How do you find friends in Age of Empires Online? The, one of the ways to do so is using the, since it operates under the games for Windows, is that since it's associated your gamer tag, you can find them through their gamer tag. That's the easiest way if you know who they are already. Right, okay. Uh, so join me in Age of Empires Online. Just add Tom Chick to your, to your friends list and uh, come visit my cities. McMaster, who are you on uh, Games for Windows? Uh, I think it's JV McMaster. All right. Uh, and actually, here's another quick thing, Kevin Perry. Uh, you can visit someone else's city. Correct. Uh, and, of course, a lot of the cool unlockable stuff for rewards are cosmetics for the city, like uh, statues or new buildings, decorations, shrubbery, stuff like that. Um, the, I've also seen uh, there, there are incentives to go to someone else's city because you can go there and get a mission, by the way, a repeatable uh, quest that you can do. Right. Uh, what is the purpose of buying stuff from somebody else's store? Like, I see that a lot. People in the chat window saying, hey, come to my city and buy stuff from my store. Well, they get a small advantage for having done so. And also, if they're much further ahead in the game than you are, they will have access to different gear from different regions. So I can buy that from them directly? Yes. Okay. So, uh, McMaster, do you, do you have anything awesome for sale in your city? Oh, yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> Uh, all right, so uh, Age of Empires Online, Kevin, thanks for hanging out with us and uh, talking about that. I wish you the, the best of luck with it. I've, I've just been, I've really enjoyed it. Someone who's very critical of it early on, especially that quote-unquote grind bit, I've really been enjoyed with how much more quickly it moves. For instance, just to let folks know, it used to be that when you jumped into a new civilization, you had to go through the tutorial levels, and then you had to spend your tech points to unlock new units, 
uh, and then you just had to, to like get to eighth level before you could ever get to the third age and something like 15th level before you could ever get to the fourth age. So when I jumped in fresh with uh, playing the Celts, I could immediately skip the tutorials, which I didn't need to do because I've already played. I was put at third level. Uh, the only thing that I kind of felt w was missing early on was the advisor hall, and you get that when you hit eighth level. Uh, and I did that after about maybe five or six missions. Very straightforward. Some of those were skirmishes, by the way. I didn't even have to do uh, the little uh, kind of escort missions and stuff I didn't want to do. I could just do skirmishes. Once I hit the advisor hall, because you no longer have to spend tech points to unlock units, I felt like I pretty much had everything I wanted. And like I said, I was able to do that in five or six missions. Uh, so I'm really pleased, Kevin, with how quickly the content that I felt I had to pay time to reach, how quickly that was put at my fingertips. Excellent. Uh, Glad to hear it. Yeah. So uh, so there you go. Give Age of Empires Online a, a try. Uh, feel free to friend me and McMaster. Uh, visit yeah. our cities. Buy our stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, next week we will have joining us a fellow named Chris Park, who uh, actually made my uh, game of the week this week? Uh, oh. He'll he'll be hanging out to talk with us uh, about a valley without wind. Uh, cool. Join us for that. So uh, my name is Tom Chick. I have been joined by Jason Rearmaster McMaster. <laughs> That's the best, yeah. And uh, and Kevin Perry. And we'll see everyone next week. Thanks for joining us.